The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. This week, Mopo, is he ready to give it a go or will he say hell no? Simon's away end vitality. I have a small favour to ask of Chelsea this weekend. And the Blues get ready for the FA Cup final. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. And this is this week's episode. Sorry if you're expecting it a little bit earlier, but we are ready to bask in that Chelsea win at Bournemouth and plenty more today. I've got two of the Athletics' best and brightest with me for this show. Neither are speaking anonymously in order to protect their relationships for the next 40 minutes or so. Simon Johnson's with us. How are you doing, Simon? Sorry, I just got to check with my source if I can talk to you or not. Uh, Yes, hello, everyone. Hello. (laughs) Uh, for the first time in a long time, we've got Dominic Fifield with us. How are you doing, Dom? Hi, Matt. I'm fine, thank you. I notice you only get me back on when Chelsea leapfrog back over Crystal Palace. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Palace are going to finish 12th. That's just the way this season's going. Um, I think Chelsea getting the top half will be... Oh, I can't complete that sentence. If Chelsea get in the top half, we'll be happy. Goodness me. Uh, well, anyway, it feels like a while since we last spoke. So long. Chelsea even done a win. Uh, we'll touch on that later, but first, let's get an update on that always exhaustive, sometimes exhausting managerial search. Right, in his Monday column for The Athletic, David Ornstein reported that Chelsea's process of sourcing a new head coach would conclude this week. It's Thursday morning as we record. So where are we on that, Simon, and why is this taking so long? <laughs> We're all clicking refresh on the, uh, on the fifth stand app. Uh, where are we at with this? Look, I, I get why everyone's frustrated, but there's never been a rush to get this done as far as the, the hierarchy are concerned. And I'm sure from Pochettino, look, it, all the power is really in Pochettino's court. He can negotiate. It's almost, I'm not saying name your price, but it's a little bit like that with Chelsea in such a shambles. He'll want to talk about how it's going to work, how much say he has, because... You know, perhaps um, he'll be conscious of the fact that it's a collaborative approach under this ownership and he'll want to make sure that he has a fair amount of influence. Um, They'll be talking signings, what players he wants to keep, what players he wants to go. So I know it's frustrating for everyone concerned that it hasn't hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And does he want... Paul Mitchell in? I mean, three sporting directors? That feels a little excessive, even by new Chelsea standards. It does seem a bit... I mean, when I talk to people about already the the structure, there is an element of confusion of who to go to. Um, I was talking to someone only uh, a few days ago, and they were saying that Chelsea are going to face a bit of a problem in this regard. And we all saw this coming in many respects in that because from the get-go, all these agents and sort of everyone that wants to talk all things Chelsea got used to talking to Todd Bowley and Badad, Bali in particular, that unfortunately they kind of made a rod for their own back a little bit in that hiring all these people after the fact means that people's instincts are still to sort of want to go to those two guys. So I, I, I think inevitably it's going to take time for people to readjust to the co-sporting directors, Lawrence Stewart and Paul Winstanley. 
um, people like Christopher Vavell, Joe Shields, etc. They're all trying to get their say. It does seem a bit overkill for someone else to then come in as well. But I wouldn't rule anything out with Chelsea at the moment because um, they are still... I'm not going to use the phrase making things up as they go along, but there is a kind of learning on the job scenario going on. I, I, that sentence caused a few smiles on the on the Zoom. <laughs> well, it made me think of that that classic Brendan Rogers quote of, of management is like learning to fly a plane whilst you're building it, and that does feel a little bit uh, like <laughs> sounds the, like this season. To be honest, yeah. Um, Don, we haven't had your your thoughts on Pochettino. Do you think he's a he's a good fit for for Chelsea? Should they be casting their net a bit wider? He's a good fit for Chelsea if he's allowed to do the job that he wants to do at Chelsea, which means that he's he's really got to dictate the culture at the club from the first team down. And if you give him that opportunity to do that and you have complete faith and trust in him, then I'm sure he'll he'll do a very good job in in time. I don't think it's going to be an easy fix. I don't think it's going to be a short term thing. It's gonna there's going to be an element of patience required. I, I mean, I, I sort of feel it's a bit a bit like a stuck record to be honest, because I'm pretty sure I said all the same things about Graham Potter, and they didn't have the patience for that, and things didn't work out, and it wasn't an, the instant upturn that they they wanted, and they got rid of him. So at least with I suppose with Pochettino, you've got a, a manager of of more clout. A manager who's been at elite clubs before is used to sort of working with the egos within a within a dressing room at an elite club. Uh, knows the the pressure and the demands that's placed on him. Not not necessarily from his time at Tottenham, but certainly from his time at Paris Saint Germain. So it's. But you've got to you've got to have faith. You've got to keep the faith. You've got to you've got to got to stay with him. You've got to forget that he's an ex Spurs manager. You can't have the first couple of bad results and all the the crowds start whinging about how this oh this is what he did at Tottenham and he's Tottenham he's not Chelsea. You just got to what's the phrase trust the process isn't that what they say nowadays? Instincts always scream that you sh- that you know you you want an instant upturn, but I don't see how there will be one with this Chelsea setup. Uh, I have some sympathy with them in, in terms of the, the structure that Simon was talking about there because everything actually did end up happening in a rush last last year with the takeover and they inherited a, a club that for one reason or another had been gutted of its experienced elder statesmen and women. So they needed to... Th- to fling things together and there, there was inevitably that was going to take time as well so they had to sort of do some of those jobs themselves for a while um, but yeah they don't need any more cooks in the building they, they, they've got enough on that front they don't need any more recruiters otherwise just the confusion will just continue to reign Clout's a key word, right, Simon? He, he'll be coming in with it with the respect of everybody, but also you feel like he's got the the force of personality that maybe Graham Potter didn't have, which was was one of the reasons for his downfall, perhaps. Yeah, it needs uh, like managing Chelsea, as we've seen over the last two decades, and I, I've referenced this before when Graham Potter said it's the hardest job in football. And there was a lot of um, eyebrow raising at that suggestion and, and understandably so, because it depends what you deem to be the hardest job. But Chelsea is right up there because of the pressures involved, the expectations of a fan base used to winning a trophy virtually every year and an ownership previously to that who would sack a manager if you didn't achieve that. Now you've got a slightly different ownership that kind of want the best of both worlds, I think. It's someone that is going to be very sort of um, 
amenable to them and, and what they want to happen while still being very successful. And I, I'm, that that is a very difficult marriage to have, to find. I think Graham Potter, his personality, lovely bloke, clearly a talented coach, but leaping straight into the lines then I think was 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 too much too soon. And certainly the more even after the fact, even after he's gone, you're still hearing sort of people say that he just wasn't he just wasn't he didn't cut it. He he didn't he didn't have that authority, he didn't inspire people. Pochettino has clearly done that in in difficult circumstances at Tottenham. You know, he had for slightly different reasons a sort of a an awkward situation to manage, not exactly being backed in the transfer market. And he, he worked with what he had um, and turned what was a very underachieving team into still an underachieving team, but one that actually at least got close to achieving something. And if you were to ask Chelsea fans right now, oh, would you take finishing second, third, having a run in a Champions League Bite your hands off because at the moment they're battling out with Crystal Palace, as Dom has already mentioned, for 11th spot. And um, I think Pochettino will be, there will be, as I wrote recently, I think there will be some people that will always worry about the Tottenham connection, but I think the vast majority will be welcoming him coming in and and getting to work on turning this mess into something a bit more pretty. All right, stop sniggering, listener. We all know the Welcome to Poch video dropped on the official club channels five minutes after Lucy <laughs> hit publish on the pod. Uh, that's just the lot of the football podcaster, I'm afraid. Uh, okay, it was ages ago, but Chelsea actually won a game of football last weekend, so we ought to discuss it a bit. We'll do that next. Today was the day they'd be mathematically secure. But they're now three goals to one down. It's a really well-taken goal. Chow Felix just off the bench. Wraps it up for Chelsea. Well, well, well. Chelsea won a game, scored three goals in the process. It ended a run of six straight defeats. Simon wrote a lovely piece for The Athletic about his experience in the away and at the Vitality Stadium. If you missed it, let's hear how it sounded. Chelsea won a game. Can you believe it? And do you know what the secret is? I'm doing this voice note from the away ends here in Bournemouth. Getting a few strange looks from the away supporters. I went incognito. And uh, maybe I should do it more often rather than uh, sit in the press box because uh, a bit of a lucky charm. Uh, the Chelsea players have uh, just been and gone with Frank Lampard. They, it was such a refreshing change for everyone around me. I think they're sort of in a bit of a state of shock, to be honest with you that not only have uh, Chelsea scored a goal, they've scored three, and they've won a game. It's quite funny, there's quite a lot of, uh, lots of humour among the Chelsea fans singing about we are staying up and how bad must you be and winning away and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the uh, Chelsea fans just uh, piling out to my right here. As for Laquita, gave his shirt to a young fan, got a... Got a big cheer, Badia Shield, 
definitely a fan's favourite. Why, why has he not been playing more? That's been one of the mysteries of the second half of the season. Ladwecki, he looked good, although faded, but looked, looked good. You can see why he should be playing more. But yeah, it's just, it's just everyone's just, look, you can see lots of smiles on everyone's faces. They just can't believe that not only have they seen Chelsea score three times, they've seen them win a game. And uh, it looks like everyone's going to be having a good uh, bank holiday weekend to celebrate. I know there's a few that are staying over. So here's the Buddy of Shield chant again. It's been sung a lot today. But um, what a difference of win rates. Everyone's actually got a smile on their face for change. How long will it last? This is make the most of it, I suppose. Uh, I just want to add, Simon, uh, that if you, next time you're in the away end, if you can have a word, it's actually pronounced Badia Shield, so that chant doesn't really work for me. Um, it's difficult to find something that rhymes with Badia Shield, I know. but um... As it was being sung around me, I did feel like going, excuse me, everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I liked it. I thought, yeah, forget the fact it doesn't completely work on, on the accuracy front. But I still like someone sat down and went, oh, let's get uh, Tobboli, uh, Lamborghini, Badishile. Yeah, you know, it's a pre-existing chant there. That's my other beef with it. It started for Manuel Pellegrini and Sheikh Mansour at Man City. But I mean, they all are these days. Now, this is a separate conversation. This is one more for football cliches. But This feels like, uh, funny enough, just before the show recorded, I was uh, I, there was a, a clip popped up on my... Uh, delightful Facebook, and it was uh, Ed Sheeran talking about his recent court case uh, being accused of ripping someone else's song off. I mean, you know, I'm afraid what goes around comes around. You know, I, weren't Chelsea the ones that come up with the uh, Thomas Tuchel one that now everyone, mm. Mikhail Teta suddenly it's turned up at Arsenal, etc., etc. I don't know whether Chelsea were the ones that came up with the we've got super Thomas Tuchel, blah blah blah. Uh, first but it felt like it and now everyone sort of has a version of that so you know I, I quite liked it it was certainly a a nicer chant involving Todd Bowley's name than one that I heard in the second half which didn't have any rhyming in it it was very short and it was very blunt <laughs> I could see Dom scratching his chin uh, with his editor head on thinking about doing that <laughs> He was worried what I was going to say, I think. Yeah, that was actually cut from the article. Right, so. OK. I, I just thought maybe, you know, a 10,000-word piece from somebody on ubiquity and football chanting and what we can do to stamp it out and bring some originality back to it. You know, If, if you're not going to do the one on Ellison's being the coach company of every team in the league, you can, you can have that one. <laughs> Simon, were you like journalist head-on hoping that there'd be another defeat so you might get a better story and, and then actually wanting to just enjoy the game? Which one of those two won out? I was easy either way. It was, it was, there was no sort of agenda. There was, it was just watching Chelsea with the crowd and, and sort of getting a, covering the mood. And, and look, I think every listener, you guys will know that I have a sort of pessimistic sense of humour as well. So, so I could relate to all the things I overheard. I mean, it was hilarious. I mean, the, you know, the very first time that Bournemouth got into the penalty area, almost scored and then, the guy near me goes, oh, I'm going down the pub. Um, <laughs> I can't watch this already. You know, Chelsea scoring and the chant of we've scored a goal and we're winning away and we, we are staying up. And, you know, it, it was all sort of self-deprecating humour. I actually heard, and I haven't heard this for a long time, very briefly, the uh, one man went to Mo chant. But unfortunately, it started just 
pretty much just as it was starting, Bournemouth equalised, and it and it never never resurfaced. But no, I I, I genuinely went there just to just to sort of get the sort of how a Chelsea fan. And and to be honest, I think even if they'd lost, that that sort of general humour, that kind of uh, we're rubbish and we know we are. That that would have come across, I think. There was a little bit more angst in the second half. I mean, the the booing of Sterling and, and Ziyech when they came on, uh, the Todd Bowley chant, which I've referenced already, um, sort of betrayed the genuine sentiment of what a what a disappointing season it's been. But on the whole, I think most people went there just just for a laugh, bit of a laugh, and and I think it helped that it was bank holiday weekend, and quite a few of them, I think, were making the most of it and staying over in Bournemouth and were. Regardless, we're going to hit the pub and probably a few other things besides over the the uh, the hours that followed. Uh, Dom, I felt relieved on Frank Lampard's behalf because it was getting kind of tough to watch, wasn't it? And and you know we've talked about the damage that's been done to his reputation here, so it, it was nice to see him get a win and you know get a moment where everybody went over to the away fans and and just have some kind of sense that this hasn't been a total bust from his and Chelsea's perspective. Yeah. That- there has been, I think, a groundswell of sympathy in some in some quarters for what he's he's endured since he's taken up the role on the interim basis. Uh, it, you're right; it was getting a bit. It was getting painful. It was it was a painful watch. He, he was starting to look particularly helpless on the sidelines, and uh, and 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 you sort of fear for for what happens next you know what is his what is his next role going to be what type of managerial position is he was he going to get into next if 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 this season literally just had flatlined and there were going to be no highlights whatsoever just a succession of defeats so so to to record a victory yeah that that, that sort of lanced a bit of that of that tension i imagine that that performance still needs a bit of context i don't think they were brilliant uh, by any stretch of the imagination, I think they still look fragile. I think Bournemouth, Bournemouth, are a very awkward team who have been on an excellent run. So I think it's six wins in nine prior to that, and they they put themselves about and and got at Chelsea and were aggressive. And I mean, arguably, they could have had a penalty at one one. There was a period in the second half where it looked more likely or likelier that that Bournemouth were going to score the second goal than Chelsea. But but with that Chelsea team. There are players there, aren't there? That underneath all this lack of confidence and the the fear that they've got and the trepidation that they have purely as a result of this this season and the results, etc. There is real quality there still, and occasionally it raises its head. And I think we saw that with the the authority that they did put on the goal. Lovely improvisation from Badia Shield to to score the the second, and and then a nice little run from Sterling. Um, to set up yeah, Felix for the for the third. I was going to ask that because I was intrigued by this. I know everybody's sort of saying, oh yeah, they booed Sterling and they, they booed Ziyech onto the pitch. Was there an element of them booing the fact that Mudrik and Madueke were coming off the pitch? I think with Madueke, perhaps a little bit of disappointment because um, he had, I was, I was going to get onto this if Matt wasn't going to raise it, that, that Madueke was, particularly first half, was really impressive um, without getting too carried away. But it was so refreshing to have, one, him playing again, but two, sort of seeing a player actually taking players on and, and he caused Vinia quite a lot of problems, actually, and Bournemouth a lot of problems. If he had his shooting boots on, 
um, he may have even scored. So I think there was an element of the, of disappointment of Madweki coming off, but he had started to fade. So so I understood why he was coming off. I think match fitness, etc. But no, I I I think m- most of the discontent though was over who was coming on. I think Sterling is a bit of a divisive figure at the moment, but it was it was notable, and I said that in the copy. It was noticeable how there was a lot more kind of split, divided opinion about Sterling and his treatment than Ziek. Ziek, there was booze and no one batted an eyelid about him getting booed. But fair play to both of them in that they actually played well. You know, coming on as subs is always difficult, but also they would have heard that um, and they responded. You know, the, the free kick that Ziek once again showed that he has got quality in those boots. We, we can question his mentality and, and whether sort of, He's got the character that you want, but there is quality in that in that left foot of his. It was a beautiful ball in for Badishil, and Mudrick. It was a classic Mudrick kind of game, really, where there are moments where he looks he looks dangerous, but but the end product isn't there. I'd like to see these two play basically for the rest of the season. I, I think that's the future to have these two wingers. You sort of think back to and I. Certainly not getting carried away here, but you think back to when Chelsea had Duff on one side and Robin on the other. It was one of the most exciting Chelsea sort of attacks that, that that they've had, and they've got a long way to go to match those two. But there is something about having two wingers, isn't there? It's sort of you know mm. two guys, and if you're defending them, it's kind of like well. If you pay more attention, you're worried about Mudrick's pace. That that leaves perhaps Madweki with a one-on-one situation on the other side. So, so yeah, I think I've answered your question and then gone on, rambled on for another minute. Or two. <laughs> well, let's start next season with those two on the wings, and we can have Harry Kane in the middle in a swap deal for Lukaku, and everybody's happy um, apart from Spurs. Uh, there's still four games to go this season, believe it or not. Uh, we're going to preview the next one off the rank, which is on Saturday next. Right, listen, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that whilst I'm very much a Chelsea sympathiser, I'm a Nottingham Forest supporter. It was forced upon me by birth. Uh, my two worlds and the two two-time European champions collide at Stamford Bridge this weekend. Uh, team news-wise, Simon, we know Frank Lampard loves the youth. It'd be a nice gesture if he played the under-12s in this match, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that that is something he's considering. Um, big fan of Nottingham Forest, I think. Um <laughs> No, no, this is this is uh you know, this is this is a chance for Chelsea to put Forrest back where they belong. Uh <laughs> look at well, Todd's face. Bloody hell. <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking because uh, I, I think I've mentioned on this pod first time around when ahead of the two teams meeting that, that Forrest have a a place in my heart. It was, it was. It was Nottingham was where I went to university. It was the first ground I did any kind of journalism at with student radio. Um, so yeah, part of me wants them to do. Oh dear, I'm almost asking for trouble there. <laughs> part of me wants them to get a good result. So I was delighted they came out on top um, the other night. You do fear for Chelsea and that Forest are. You know, have got far more riding on this, and they're they're going to be far more focused, far more intent, etc. Whereas Chelsea can be a mishmash of players trying to prove something, players that 
that maybe you've got one eye on the summer, etc. So it's a great opportunity for Forest. But I, I hope I hope we see a very similar team to the one we saw Chelsea wise. I mean, that we we saw at Bournemouth and that Baddy Shield. I didn't we didn't get a chance to really talk about Baddy Shield. The mystery of 2023. There's many of them, but the mystery of his omission, regards the fact he was left out of Champions League squad. So there was this kind of all got to play Koulibaly kind of mantra. He just showed again on Saturday why that was just madness. Um, so I'd like to see him again with uh, Thiago Silva. And as I've already said, that the two wingers going full throttle. Um, the question is who plays up top again? Mm. And just defensively, Dom, I wonder, sort of really looking ahead to next season, if we don't think we're going to see, say, Kukurea and Koulibaly, maybe not before the end of the season, you're still looking at trying to get Badia Shield, Thiago Silva, Wesley Fofana and potentially Levi Colwell into Chelsea's central defensive positions. That that, that doesn't really go, does it? Somebody's going to have to miss out there. And, and Badia Shield feels like he's been the full guy because, I don't know, he's the youngest and, and he didn't cost as much as, as Fofana. But that's going to be a real head-scratcher for, for Maurizio Pochettino or, or whoever next season, is it? But that comes into the whole squad shaping of the summer, though. I mean, it's there will be... There will be suitors for Colwell in, in particular, um, and you know, his sale would represent what's the expression "profit on the books." I mean, it's all a bit of a nonsense. The reality is that he would bring money in into the club um, potentially if 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 Chelsea were prepared to sell. I think there are going to be some really difficult decisions to be made on that front, not just with him, but with with some of the guys in midfield a lot of them will be the youth team products because they will be the they will be the players that other clubs are attracted to that they they're probably on some of them are on more realistic wages some of them are on more realistic wages um that they could be lured away potentially with more promises of more game time i th- i think they're going to be some really really difficult difficult decisions to be made in the summer but that's for then um at the moment I, I, I'm like so. I want. I want to see certainly the guys that came in 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 mid season. I want to see. I want to see the wingers played. I want to see Badashiel in there and and given a chance. I want to see. I want to see Wesley Fofana in there as well. And and because that is the future of Chelsea Football Club. That those guys are, are are supposed to be the ones that they've invested heavily in because they're going to be there for the long term and they're going to have an impact to play and that they've got the quality. They just but they'll only show that if they're given opportunities. So given this is. For Chelsea, this is a dead rubber. That the last four games mean nothing to them, really. Give them a chance. You're not going to get opportunities in the Premier League where games are meaningless most seasons. When was the last time Chelsea had a meaningless run? In it was probably talking back in 2016. Re- realistically, it's it's just take this opportunity and yeah, let's see what what they can do against a a desperate team, a team that is struggling to survive, a team that will that will be aggressive will will attempt to will, will seize this as an opportunity because considering they've got like I mean the three difficult games to come for Forest aren't they I mean you'll know this more than anyone Matt but after seven I think it's seven league defeats in a row away from home um they go to Chelsea they host Arsenal and then they go to Palace on the last day and I mean they may have enough points already but realistically one more win you'd like to think that will take them take them clear so do they have the quality to go out there and, and exploit a, a young and experimental Chelsea team, potentially? That, that's that's going to be the intrigue around this fixture, I think. 
Yeah, Forest away record in the Premier League this season. Played 17, won one, drawn three, lost 13, scored eight goals, conceded 41. Uh, so not exactly sparkling. So can, can I just check you're reading Notting Forest's away record? <laughs> <laughs> um, what about Joao Felix? Simon, we're talking there about players we want to see for the end of the season. I'm just looking at a, a quote that Fabrizio Romano's put on Twitter from the Atletico president, Ceriso, who says, we don't know what will happen to Joao in the summer. At the moment, he's at Chelsea. Then we see if he can renew or not. He can continue another season or not, but don't worry about that. So basically, he said absolutely nothing there. Uh, <laughs> do we know if Chelsea want to keep him? I mean, he'd, he'd be ridiculously expensive to buy, wouldn't he? And he's, he's not shown enough to, to justify adding him to the ever-increasing number of, of wide forwards, has he? It's been quite interesting how he's suddenly out the team completely, um, which seems quite an odd thing if, you, if you're thinking of signing him certainly for that kind of money the, the the suggestion is that they're considering another loan which perhaps might make a bit of sense in that it's a lot cheaper than spending what 80 90 100 million whatever the atletico try and get for him but is it not is that not just blocking a madueke or a mudrick or we've got nkunku to come in as well haven't we and what about mason mount if he stays well there's a lot of what ifs there um yeah, I mean, I I quite like Ralph. I'm I'm in the sort of I quite like him. I, I appreciate the end product is something that hasn't been there uh, enough. But I mean, crikey, you could say that about everyone. I like him as a player. He, he he does something a bit different, and I think Chelsea have been very predictable. Um, there's a lot of predictable players, minus the wingers, of course, who I just praised a little bit. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of. I'm not anti Joel Felix staying, put it that way, but I'm, I, I get why people are a bit kind of, well, what's the point as well? I'm a bit, but I'm, I, yeah, I'm for once I'm sitting on the fence in this one and uh, I've got, just take this big splinter out. Sorry. Oh, that hurt. I won't sit on the fence. There's no point signing Joel Felix. There's absolutely no point. If, you, if you've, if you're investing in Nkunku to come in from RB Leipzig and you've got, you've got attacking players out wide then stick with them. Invest your future in them. They're yours. They're Chelsea players. Yao Felix, if he becomes a Chelsea player, is going to cost an arm and a leg. I don't think there's been... I think if you're going to spend £100 million on a player, and I know they did, they did this quite recently on a player who didn't actually produce very much, but surely they would have learned that lesson. £100 million should should get you a player that, that, that tears it up in the in the Premier League every week and is is propelling you through Champions League campaigns, in my opinion. And Yao Felix isn't that player. He's very pretty, and, but I mean, the, the reality is his, his best performance probably for Chelsea, Simon, contradict me if this is wrong, but his best performance was probably at Fulham away and he ended up getting sent off after half-time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's... I think it's I, I think you make a very valid argument. And, and also when you sort of look at they want to sign a, a central midfielder to sort of help the Enzo Fernandez midfield that that's going to be. Uh, they want a goalkeeper. The the priorities are elsewhere. I, I agree. I, I think it's just part of me sort of thinks I've been so starved of seeing good football this season that you know there's part of me that when he does a nice little bit of skill that's gone. Oh, thank you for for providing something nice to watch in this dismal season. But yeah, in terms of his his stats, 
they haven't justified certainly a permanent transfer. But then I'm sort of going against what me and Liam debated about a few months ago in a piece. <laughs> so I can't I can't be really seen to be, you know, putting the car my new car in reverse and crashing into the uh the car part behind, if you know what I mean. Is yours a Lamborghini as well, like Todd Bowley? Yeah, and I went to France and I bought back... Uh, I didn't bring back a centre-back. I bought back uh, a lot of alcohol to... Uh, no, let's not finish that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's going to happen then, Dom? Do you think Forrest are going to get anything from this game? Please just give me some crumb of comfort to hold on to. <laughs> Look, I loved, I've loved watching Forrest of late. I think they've been absolutely fantastic entertainment. That, that game on Monday was sensational. I thought their recent game against Newcastle at home was absolutely brilliant. And weirdly, it sort of reminded Newcastle how good they can be um, because it was such a a fantastically entertaining end-to-end match. But defensively, they're so open and they're going to have to rely on Chelsea being at their profligate best, utterly unable to convert any of their chances to get anything out of this game. I think reality-wise, I still think Forest will stay up. I think they may have enough points already, but I think it's going to be a bit of a, a nerve-wracking end of the season for the Pro. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, defensively, kind of all over the place, and a lot of that, believe it or not, is down to Kaylor Navas, who makes loads and loads of really brilliant saves and is allergic to catching the ball, which tends to to put his defenders in in a bit of a muddle. So that's that's something that Chelsea could profit from. Just put loads of crosses in the box and see what happens. Uh, but if we're talking effective number 10s, Morgan Gibbs-White, somebody that Chelsea need to mm. watch because he has been absolutely Player. astonishing uh, in the last few games for Forest. And it's made a big difference for them having uh, Taiwo Awani fit. So they've got an actual focal point up front, which is something that Chelsea maybe could have done with at points. Uh, this season. Uh, what do you think then, Simon? Feels like one of those games where first goal's pretty important. Although, having said that, Forrest got that at Brentford a few weeks ago and ended up chucking it away. But you just feel like if, if Forrest score first and the crowd gets a bit edgy, maybe it'd be difficult for, for Chelsea to turn it around, he said, hoping. Yeah, I, I, look, I think you should be optimistic. I mean, you've seen Chelsea in the flesh more than I have, actually. And you know how sort of the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge has been is pretty... It's going to be pretty flat, I'd imagine, again. So it's not like Forrester walking into an intimidating venue. Chelsea's home form hasn't been exactly amazing either. Um, you can tell I've got my sort of fatalistic uh, tone. So I, I really wouldn't be surprised. It, I, I think it's there for Forrest if, if they if they exert pressure on Chelsea. You can, I can already hear the moans and groans as, as Chelsea give it away and... And, and struggling to defend. So I think it's a really good opportunity for Nottingham Forest. That it's what I said last week that teams that are facing Chelsea, okay, didn't work out so much for Bournemouth, but teams that have got Chelsea in this run-in will be thinking, oh, this is a good opportunity. And um, Forest coming on off the back of that good win, scoring goals, um, they're going to be full of confidence. So re- really good opportunity, I'd say, for at least, for at least a point. And, and I think Forest would be disappointed if they don't get one. I'm intrigued by that. Actually, it's, it's a very good point. So, because Matt, as a as a fan of a club that needs to go to Stamford Bridge and get a result, what is your attitude to it? Do you look at it? I mean, surely this is the best opportunity you, you'll have in the modern Premier League era to go to Stamford Bridge and get a result. Yeah, I was much more confident about it before Saturday last week. I was actually working on the assumption that Forest would get at least a point from the game, but we saw Chelsea play 
play much, much better. But as you said, Dom, this is the game that Forrest are most likely to get something from of the three that remain. They absolutely had to beat Southampton on Monday. There was, there was no other result that would have worked, but they're not going to get anything from Arsenal at home. I know they beat them in the FA Cup at the City Ground last year, but that, that's something entirely different. And you don't want to be leaving it to Palace on the last day needing to get something because that's just fraught with nerves. But if, yeah, from a Forest perspective, you think, well, Southampton have taken six points off Chelsea this season. So surely Forest can can get a result at Stamford Bridge. Um, I'm sorry, listener. I do genuinely want Chelsea to win every other game that they play. But this is much more important to Forest than it is to Chelsea. And, um, and Forest really, really do need the points. But anyway, we shall see. Just quickly, there's another sort of, well, who knows if, if they're, they're OK or not. Obviously, we're recording before the press conference, but... But for example, what are Chelsea going to do on on the left flank? Um, Chilwell pulled up with a hamstring injury um, at Bournemouth. Um, Cucurella was ruled out with with injury. So suddenly you're sort of thinking, oh, you know, could that be uh, a, a weakness? Um, could it be an opportunity? Conversely, could it be an opportunity for Lewis Hall? He he was he was named on the bench uh, at Bournemouth. The away fans were singing his name, and it was almost like a, a, a protest sing as well when the subs were being made. They kept singing his name. What was the tune? What was the tune? Did he say? Yeah, he's so determined to get Simon to sing. I'm going to guess Lewis, Lewis Hall. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said. I didn't want to. I didn't want <laughs> people to suffer my singing voice as well as my vocal one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that was the one. So this could be an opportunity for him, but he's not played since January for the first team. Again, another bizarre scenario. That was in centre mid, wasn't it, at Anfield that he played? Yeah, he started at Manchester City, uh, Newcastle and and Liverpool, which is a sign of of (laughs) him being sort of fairly highly rated, I'd say. And then suddenly totally disappears. Um, So he's had a bit of a, you know, a challenge to his... Psyche um, and his confidence levels, because that that must have been quite hard to take. You, one minute you're playing in front of sixty thousand at these these amazing grounds, next minute you're, you're back with the in front of a few hundred or whatever in the academy level. That, that that's 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 been must have been tough to take. But yeah, he could he could start on Saturday. But anyway, that's my long winded way of um, going off on another tangent, and that's what I do. <laughs> that's why we love you yeah, he's only 18 still Lewis or doesn't turn 19 my, my wife doesn't say that <laughs> alright it's Forest Chelsea on Saturday and we will well Chelsea Forest even uh, we will react to it next week next though we're going to give you an update on the women's team Well, joining us now to talk about the women's team is the Athletics' Charlotte Harper. Um, Charlotte, it's been a, a pretty incredible few days for, for Emma Hayes' side. It, it feels like just a couple of days ago, their their goal difference was miles behind Manchester United. All of a sudden, they've drawn level. They've scored 13 goals in two games and Sam Kerr's only got one of them. That tells you a little bit about the strength and depth that Emma Hayes is working with. Exactly. What a host of goal scorers. On Sunday, Wrighton, Kerr, harder with the double... Ingle, Fleming, Cuthbert, and then Wrighton again, Cuthbert again, harder with another double, James getting involved with the party, and then Kankovic as well on Wednesday evening. And that is a scary prospect that you are not relying on Sam Kerr. And these players are in confidence, 
and hitting their form just before the big one on Sunday. And the return of Penilla Harder and the fact she's come back and hit the ground running in such spectacular fashion is, is immensely important, right? We know it, we're not going to see Frank Kirby for, for the foreseeable future and Chelsea have had other injury worries this season. So just psychologically, as much as anything else, a real boost to get her back and, and firing straight away. Absolutely. I think the narrative has been around Arsenal and their injury concerns, especially given four ACLs. But you have to remember that Harder has been out since November, Kirby since February. So Chelsea have had their own injury issues with Millie Bright and Kadisha Buchanan. And yet they've still found the form. And Emma Hayes spoke on Sunday about the importance of rotating and the finishers, she calls them finishers, coming off the bench and killing the game. And that's exactly what they have done. But Penilla Harder, what a player. I don't think we've quite seen Penilla Harder at her real best in the WSL. There were shimmerings of her. I remember that Manchester United game where she just muscled off the defenders and then a beautiful finish. And you thought, wow, this is Penilla Harder, the UEFA Player of the Year. And it is a huge boost for her and for Chelsea to come back and two braces within four days. On Sunday, she scored with her first touch. So it is great to see her back and on firing form. Unfortunately, I don't think she will be staying at Chelsea, which is another talking point. Yeah, so so her and Magda Eriksson are out of contract in the summer, right? And, and heavily linked with Leon. Yes, out of contract in the summer, but heavily linked with Bayern. Uh, so that has been the most recent development. Amanda Zaza has reported uh, that Magdalena Eriksson and Panilla Harder have signed a deal with Bayern Munich and they're expected to join when their contract expires with Chelsea this summer. Of course, that's just reported and no official confirmation, but it looks like Harder and Eriksson um, may leave Chelsea this summer. Well, they want to go out with a couple more trophies in their collection. We'll talk about the FA Cup final shortly, but just in terms of the, the WSL, so Chelsea are point behind Manchester United. They've got the game in hand, which is at West Ham on Wednesday. Then that massive match at home to Arsenal before finishing at Reading. I mean, Arsenal aside, that that's a pretty decent run of fixtures to finish with, isn't it? I mean, you'd expect them to take, what, six points from those three games minimum? And, and maybe if they get seven, that'll be that'll be enough to, to win them the title? Never say never, Matt. And Emma Hayes will always be saying, one game at a time, we're not looking too far ahead of ourselves. But yes, Reading languishing at the bottom of the table. They will have something to fight for, 100%. And that's never an easy task. Chelsea have come unstuck at Reading in previous seasons. But yeah, six points, you would definitely have Chelsea as favourites for West Ham uh, and Reading. And then that key game on the 20th, 21st of May, Chelsea against Arsenal and then Manchester United against Manchester City, that feels like the title deciding weekend. But Arsenal have always pulled it out of the bag, even scraping a 1-0 win against Leicester. But you just think this is probably the best time to play them, given how depleted the squad is. And if you compare Arsenal's bench to Chelsea's, there is a huge difference in strength and depth. And I was watching Arsenal against Wolfsburg in the Champions League thinking, who can they bring on? And you just look down at it, there were academy kids. So 
I still back Chelsea for the title. What about the FA Cup final then? It's on Sunday. It's against Manchester United, who are the only team above the Blues in the WSL. Chelsea have won it in each of the last two seasons, four times overall. United never have. That means they're behind the likes of Halbury Garage, Friends of Fulham and Lowest Off Ladies on the uh, the all-time winners list. Chelsea got the, the better in the head-to-head, haven't they, between the two teams? But you feel like that's not going to count for much at, at Wembley on Sunday. It's interesting when uh, Chelsea played Manchester United in the league and Chelsea's option was basically hit it long to Sam Kerr. Michael Cox wrote a brilliant piece on it on The Athletic and Kerr, as a world-class finisher, came up with the goods. But Manchester United, they had loads of possession but without any penetration and really needed more service to their front line of Russo, Golton and, and Toon. So I think we'll be close, very, very close. Manchester United have never beaten Chelsea in the league and whether the FA Cup will change that, it's going to be a really fascinating match. I still back Chelsea, but Man United, what an occasion for them at Wembley in front of that sellout crowd and it could really be a statement of intent for this new kid off the block really a, a perhaps a changing of the guard on Sunday if they do manage to defeat Chelsea so more pressure on Chelsea then as the favourites and, and does that even matter to, to an Emma Hayes team or, or is that the kind of thing that they embrace Emma Hayes has certain stock phrases and one of them is pressure is a privilege and she just says you know this is this is not stressful this is this is a joy to play on the on those occasions Chelsea have been there done it before they're they're looking for their third consecutive FA Cup win so I think they will take it in their stride I think the pressure is on Manchester United as well because there is a certain expectation they are the underdogs by not but not by much and so they really have to step up to the mark and deliver and execute their performance but given how many goals Chelsea have scored and how many players spread across those goals as well. It is a frightening prospect, especially ahead of such a big final. All right, so finally then, give us a prediction. Are Chelsea going to lift the cup again? Yes, I think so. Okay, that's made us feel much better. Um, Charlotte, thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch up with you again soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to Charlotte Harper for joining us. Briefly, Simon, are you expecting Chelsea to win the FA Cup on Sunday? Ooh... I mean, they are in hot form, aren't they? But Manchester United, fair play, have, um, have been fantastic. And and it's great that these two teams, this could be obviously head-to-head for a cup trophy as they're going head-to-head for the league. It's Yeah, I, I'm wary, of, I'm wary of, uh, of jinxing them. But the way that they've, they've scored goals for fun in the last, it feels like that classic team that, that knows how to win and they're just stepping up that gear a bit like Manchester City in, in in the men's Premier League, you know that that sort of right. Okay, it's it's trophy time. Let's up the ante. But it's going to be a real needle game, a real sort of rivalry game. I'll be quite interested if Lauren James starts, given her history at Manchester United, the way she she was desperate to get away from there. You know, she'll certainly be playing with a point to prove, I'd imagine. And she scored a fantastic goal um, last night. 
so yeah, I, I hope Chelsea do go on to to win the double. I mean, it's been fascinating to see. I know people might sort of be reluctant to compare the women's team and the men's team, but it's been fascinating to see that that grit, that determination, that that team spirit in the women's team because it contrasts so so in the in the worst possible way to to what you see with the men's team. Uh, yeah, if you want to go to Wembley, you can't, I'm afraid. It's a sellout. It's a 2.30 kickoff <laughs> on Sunday. It's live on BBC One here in the UK. So good luck to Emma and the girls for that one. Right, that's just about going to do it for us today. Uh, Simon, tell us a bit about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You've been uh, doing a big joint piece with Liam about his Chelsea future and why it might not be quite so easy to get him shifted. Yeah, um, I think everyone knows that he's he's not staying. Um he wants to leave and, and Chelsea clearly want to get rid of him. Um, AC Milan and, and Barcelona, he was actually caught on on uh, social media saying he wants to go back to Barcelona. But it, it's it's not as straightforward as that. Will Chelsea try and get a fee from someone? The sort of the impression I think his camp perhaps have been given is that if Chelsea asked for a fee, that would scupper certainly his chance of going to Barcelona because of course Barcelona mortgaged everything to uh, go on their big transfer spending spree last summer plus there's the sort of the spending cap rules in La Liga it, it, they're, they're clearly going to have to manage thing, their squad very very uh, carefully to, to make any signings this summer plus he's not a priority there's other players they want to bring in like Gundogan it, it's if they're going to sign another striker, they're going to have to get a forward players out. AC Milan, they prefer Arnautovic at the moment. Um, remember him? Marco Arnautovic? Yeah. He's got to be 100 by now, hasn't he? <laughs> well, he's about the same age, I think. But yeah, it may be because he'll he'll be a bit cheaper. Certainly on the wages front. I mean, Bamiang earns north of 160 grand a week at Chelsea plus a very high bonus appearance fee, which is one of the reasons why he's not been playing very much. Um, so I'm led to believe. So it, it, it's it's not going to be straightforward for him, but I, I hope for his sake, he does get a move and quickly because whether you sort of, I think people can rightfully question his performances in the Chelsea shirt, but he's been handled appallingly as, as well. And, and to sack the manager that convinced him to join in less than a week, after he arrives, it's, it's just you can imagine how that made him feel from the from the very start. Yeah, rough year for him with what happened before he left Barcelona as yeah. well. Um, just on Marco Arnautovic, one of my favourite ever Jose Mourinho quotes when he had him at Inter. Marco is a fantastic person with the attitude of a child. I think that's just absolutely <laughs> classic Mourinho. Um, Dom, is there anything on the Athletic that you'd like to point people in the direction of? Uh, there'll be a piece going up by Liam in the next probably tomorrow probably on um Friday contrasting the <laughs> the transfer approaches of the two teams that meet at Stamford Bridge in the summer just looking at the number of sheer number of players that those two clubs have brought in and the amount of money they've spent uh, between them which is uh, quite remarkable I'm, I'm asking really whether it ever works all right, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. You can read all the great Chelsea stuff and there's plenty of other fabulous content up on the site as well. That's going to do it for this week, though. We'll be back again next week with another show. But many thanks to Charlotte for filling us in on the women's team earlier and to Dom and Simon for their expertise and Lucy for cobbling it all together. We'll catch up with you again soon. Bye for now. 
The Athletic.